Welcome to How to Trade It, The Road to Trading Mastery. Join Casey Stubbs, a seasoned trader, as he guides you to become a profitable trader. Find actionable insights, real-life stories, and strategies to boost your trading skills. Don't miss the journey to trading victory. Start listening now. Connect with us at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Trading profits are just an episode away. Hello, traders. This is Casey Stubbs with another episode of the How to Trade It podcast. And today I'm excited to be with Roggy Horner from Simpler Trading. Hi, Roggy. How are you doing? I am super pleased to be here. Looking really forward to the talk. Also glad to be here. I was telling you before the show that the first time I saw you was probably 12 years ago at a trading expo in New York when you were teaching some great trading strategies back then. You know, it feels like a a lifetime ago, but yeah, you and I have been at this forever from trading to teaching. So that is very cool. I love that. So uh, today we're going to just dive right in and and really try, I'm really going to try to pull out as much of the unique insight and experience that you have about the markets and break it down so people can walk away with something good. So with that being said, what is your favorite thing to trade right now? Right now, I'd have to say it's really been ETFs and and not just ETFs. I mean, we know since 08, ETFs just continue to, to grow in the number of ETFs we have access to, but the liquidity, the volume that's traded continues to increase. And the high concentration weighting has just made it even better for my stock selection. So it's really just been, I've been very rooted in ETFs um, and and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Um, it allows me to, to look at darn near anything, uh, other countries, currencies, commodities. So I've been, I've been pretty obsessed with them for about the last 12 years. That's great. I have a really quick question. You said uh, high concentrated weighting. Tell me what that means and how does that benefit you as a trader? Awesome. Yeah. Lingo alert, right? So yeah, let's get through the techno babble of that. So high concentration weighting, we've all experienced it. We may not know that, for example, the S&P 500, of course, 500 stocks, but it's about the top eight to 10 that have a disproportionate weighting where those eight to 10 stocks have a 20% weighting of the overall S&P 500. Um, You can take that through the Dow, the NASDAQ, and most of the sectors, sector ETFs, which means basically a a very small number of stocks have just a higher weighting percentage and therefore are more influential on the ETF. And the ETF can be more influential on those stocks. So I think a lot of folks might think that uh, these stocks are more evenly weighted in in terms of um, their, well, their weighting, their percentage ownership in these ETFs. And it's just not c- the case. I mean, you look at, say, the XLK ETF, um, it's mostly Apple and Microsoft. And we can kind of go through dozens of ETFs with this same type of weighting. So when you're trading an ETF, do you go down and find out what the weighting is uh, so you can make better trading decisions? Absolutely. In fact, not only do I look at the weighting? I want to find those high concentration weighted ETFs. I actually prefer them because you know that a very small number of stocks can have that disproportionate effect influence on that ETF. And it actually makes it a whole lot easier 
to trade, it makes it a whole lot easier to follow. So I like that. Uh, for example, the Russell is not a high concentration with ETF or, or even the futures contract, the Russell 2000. And I think that's trickier oftentimes for some traders to kind of find, find the pulse of as opposed to, say, the NASDAQ. So uh, that's what I like to focus on. Okay, okay. Uh, there's This is starting to get the wheels turning. Uh, why, if, if, if there's a high weight weighting in an ETF, why not just trade the instrument that is more dominant? Why oh, I love ETF it. So, at all? I love that. So why not trade Apple or Microsoft in lieu of XLK? And, and this is what I think, and it's such an excellent question. This is what I think a lot of traders may not know. Um, if you can find an ETF that has good liquidity at the option chain, because I, I like to trade the options on these ETFs. I'll, sometimes I'll buy the underlying ETF as well, but I like the option. Uh, option, And they're usually less expensive. So if I were to trade Apple options, if I were to trade Microsoft options, or I trade the XLK, which is mostly weighted in Apple and Microsoft, uh, I can spend less, say, per call. It's a lower cost. And I'm just getting exposure to not just those two high concentration weighted stocks, but I'm getting exposure to all the other stocks that are also lesser weighted, but still considerably weighted within the XLK. So I kind of feel like I don't have to bet on a single boat, if you will, but I can take advantage of the tide. Now, I like the idea that the cost is better, but then isn't there a trade-off with be maybe a lower uh, ROI? Maybe the percent gain isn't as much. Sure. So let's say we look at the average cost of a at-the-money call in Microsoft, and then I look at the same time the at-the-money call in XLK. You know, it's it's going to be, and it's this is probably not that far off, maybe three, four, five times less expensive to trade the XLK. So what I think that allows a lot of traders, and, and I'm a big fan of directional debits. I like to be long calls. I like to be long puts. As much as we're told that doesn't work, it works as long as you get the timing right and you treat the call as a replacement for being in that commodity, in that currency, in that stock, in that ETF. So uh, what I think the advantage is, is I can actually scale into numerous calls. I think of it as a budget. If I'm allotting, say, a $5,000 budget for this trade, I'm allowed to buy $5,000 worth of of options. I'm going to be able to scale in. And then that's how I can affect a, a more positive ROI. But it also means short-funded traders or new traders, you know, let's say you want to play Google or Tesla. You know, and and maybe some traders are uncomfortable just being long Tesla calls, which has actually worked phenomenally for the last almost two years. Um, for a lot of traders, they'll go and they can go with Tesla, but they'll probably have to put on a put credit spread or a call vertical to keep that cost basis down or just turn it into a credit trade. How about instead playing XLY, where Tesla is weighted number two? within that ETF, but it's a liquid ETF. And you can take advantage of Amazon, another pricey, spendy option, and, and take advantage of them both. So that's sort of the the number crunching that goes through my mind. That's, uh, that's great. How do we find out about uh, where to, to find these weights 
the waitings. Sure. They're, they're definitely not, the waitings are definitely not well-kept secrets or anything. If you go to, gosh, um, Yahoo Finance, if you go to, I like a site, and I don't even know these folks, but I like this site called ETFDB.com. You can pull up any ETF, and then there's a, a link to, to look at the holdings. And, and that will give you the list of you know, 10, 12, 15 top holdings. And you'll realize that by the time you get down to the 10th, 12th holding, um, it drops to 1%, 2% weighting. And then you start to notice, gosh, very few ETFs have that equal distribution or more balanced distribution. It's all going to be weighted in sometimes the top two, maybe top six names. So you can go to ETFDB and get that to get that info. Do you look at um, at the at correlations at all with like for example you use the example of Tesla and XLY. Do you look at correlations uh, like how closely together they trade? Sure. So you know, if I'm looking at correlations and Correlation in terms of moving sympathetically with a larger narrative. The correlation for me could be as broad and macro as trading reflation sectors and stocks in a reflationary environment, or it could be a little bit more granular to if I'm trading Tesla, it's either got to be a relative outperformer compared to the XLY consumer discretionary ETF that it's weighted within, or it's got to look a lot like. the, the XLY. So I'd like them to more or less be moving together, but sometimes you'll find individual stocks will move either opposite, in which case I'll avoid that stock, or it'll move uh, same or better than. So then there's that choice to go at that broader ETF level or say, wait a minute, what are these stocks is really an outperformer here. I can be a lot more granular and just go with that stock. But I try not to do that because it sort of takes the trade into a very binary place. In other words, I can be right on the group of stocks that are in the discretionary sector, or I could be right on Tesla. And and I kind of like that broader approach via the ETF. Yeah, I I just, while you were talking, I was listening, but I was also going, looking at my chart and um, the, just an example, a to buy in at the money Tesla call was like $65 and for December is what I was looking at December calls and XLY was seven. Mm. I mean, that's huge. And then what I say is if you're going to spend, you know, 60 bucks and then I ask myself, how many $7 calls could I buy? And it's not that it's going to be a proportionate gain, but you know, as well as I, it's not how much you could lose. It's how much can I afford to spend? And then can I afford to lose either the entire or a percentage of what I've spent? So, you know, to me, it goes right back to a risk-based decision, not a, oh gosh, Tesla can rip higher based decision. Hello, this is Casey. And I wanted to take a minute to tell you about my new book that just came out. It's called Complete Trading System. This is my 25 years of trading experience sharing everything that I have learned in how to make a profit 
from the markets. You're going to learn about how to find the right instruments to trade, how to find a trend, how to get started as beginners. You're going to learn about how to get the right mindset, and you're going to be able to put it all together to create a trading system of your own that will work for you. I highly recommend that you try it out. Just click the link right now. It's called Complete Trading System. It's available on Amazon. Thank you. Go ahead and check it out. I think you're going to love it. Well, yeah, risk is really important. And with that, you can get, like you said, get the basket and manage your stock. So I, uh, once again, I'm really excited about my show because I'm learning something because I just bought Tesla calls yesterday. Hmm. And, um, you know, one of the, re well, wait, no, I bought them Friday. I bought them on Friday, but it, the reason I like to buy calls is because if I bought the stock, it's up like 2%. But I'm looking at the call and it's up 42%. So I got a 42% return on investment versus a 2%. And it costs me less money. So I'm spending less to make a higher return. And But I didn't even consider this. Like, honestly, I have not even considered this ETF thing. And now I'm looking at it. I had to go in order to really get a, an affordable piece of Tesla. I had to buy something that was out of the money. Uh, which makes it cheaper. And I don't want to get too advanced for the for the listeners if they don't know what that means. But out of the money means you're buying a call that's far away from the current price. And so the odds of getting to that price are a lot less and it's a little more risky of a trade. Um, but if I would have known this, if I would have known what I know now on Friday, I probably would have gone with XLY. So this is good. I think the flip side of that, so now that I've sort of mentioned all the pros the one con is, and it's specific to, you know, and by the way, great trade, but the one downside to that is Tesla is the relative outperformer in XLY at the moment. It's outperforming, um, you know, the, the group of stocks that are heavily weighted with an XLY and Amazon and Home Depot are also the other two top three weighted names. And that's where, let's say you start at the broader index level. And you look at maybe the best corner of the NASDAQ might be its sector weighting within consumer discretionary. So you look at XLY and then you crack open XLY and you look at, all right, what's outperforming here? And if it's not Amazon or Home Depot, maybe it is Tesla of those top three. So then you might say, well, Amazon could sort of slow down the progress of XLY and, and this way index sector to stock, it's top down, sure, but you're you're seeking out basically the best representation of what could move relative to everything else from the index level down. So I actually think your Tesla trade in this situation was perfect. But in other situations where everything's more or less moving together, yeah, in those specific situations, XLY will probably be a more affordable path in. So yeah, I really love where you're coming from there. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. So I'm going to be looking at that resource and be trying uh, to get in. So other than uh, looking at ETFs, what's your specific uh, criteria uh, for finding trades and entering and exiting the trade? Is that, do you have something really 
like a, a formula or a strategy or a specific way that you follow the same way every time? You know, it's, it's really interesting. If someone asked me this question in 1989 when I was getting started and then asked me again in 99, 2009, like it, 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 I realized this answer now is probably the most simplistic answer um, that I have, which is I'm really just looking for a trend. Uh, I'm always prioritizing an uptrend over a downtrend. And if I believe that money doesn't go under the mattress, which it doesn't, that it's going to find a home somewhere, my job is to find where that flow is organized into a, a good looking uptrend. So if you know there's fear in the market and they're pulling out of tech, for example, and they're moving into utilities and staples as a defensive play, if I can see that utilities and defensives, you know, staples are organizing, organizing bullishly, I'll, I'll go there. So the, the easiest answer is it's almost become a meme and it's mocked any, every more, anymore, but I want to find an uptrend and buy the dips. And, and, and as I can get fancy about the tools and we can talk about volatility, historical volatility, market structure, moving averages, volume. But at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a dip buyer. <laughs> that's really, that's really what, after all these years, I've just become uh, in love with the trend. I want to find the trend and I want to surf it like a, like a surfer. That is a great way to do it. And that's what pretty much we're both in agreement with that. And uh, it's obviously a lot, there's so much that goes into it a lot more than just doing that risk management and finding, is there, a, what's uh, your specific, if you see something that's trending up and it's pullback, what's your particular way of triggering an entry? How do you know when the pullback is completed? So uh, two things, and probably the second has become more prominent in my trading as compared to even just 20 years ago. Uh, I use a, I use moving averages. I have for a really long time, but you know, and I like to use a 34. I, I started falling in love with uh, Fibonacci number-based exponential moving averages. So like a lot of traders, I'll have moving averages like 21 EMAs, 21 exponential moving average, 34, 55. And I like the markets to come down to that that area. But before that, I have to have an objective way to say that it's an uptrend. So I'll again use and rely on those moving averages and I'll add an eight. So I'll look at I'll look at the eight, 13, 21, and 34. And if they're structured in a way that's eight over 13, 13 over 21, and 21 over 34. And these are things that you know can be programmed on any platform. Um, if they're structured that way, you know, my trades are reliant on that suggesting the path of least resistance is higher. And then the downtrend would be just, just be the opposite. You know, eight would be at the bottom, then 13, then 21, then 34, you know, going from bottom to top. And again, if that's the structure, then the probability is we're going to continue to go lower. So then it just becomes sort of that very, (laughs) you know, kind of jokey, but buy the dip and the uptrend and sell the rip and the downtrend. But the structure has to come first because I think what hurts a lot of dip buyers is not realizing when we've left the uptrend and gone into chop and that the dips really aren't dips anymore. They're oversold support levels. It's not really trend following anymore. We found a range. So I know I didn't specifically answer the question, but I guess the question that 
precedes that that I want to make sure I definitely get across to the listeners is structure, the environment has to precede the strategy. You know, like like if you're a golfer, we know the lie of the ball dictates the shot. We don't you know, go in with our favorite club and, and the shot we know we can make. We have to look at the ball. We have to look at the distance of the pin and realize, okay, this is what we must do to progress the ball, not what we would like to do. So the structure determines the strategy. The structure determines the indicators I'm going to use. Um, the structure in the most basic way determines the direction. And then after that, uh, I'll use the moving averages and then I'll overlay volume, which is something that I've done a whole heck of a lot more, I'd say, in the past 10, 15 years. Where now I don't want to be alone in my level. Uh, I think a lot of times we we sort of romanticize the first one, the top picker, the bottom picker. I think that when you look at movies like The Big Short, it sort of glamorized those people that got there first. And sure, you know, the Michael Burries of the world made $2 billion, but how much heat did they take? How much unrealized Is it worth the pain? Is it worth the pain? <laughs> well, at the end it was, but how many people did exactly what he did, but they ended up getting buried and then they're, now they're gone? That path to the 2008, exactly. That path to the 2008 rollover, was, I'd say the road to that was just littered with people who just couldn't keep making those payments as he was able to. Now, I'm not saying that's bad, but I think it's romanticized that top picking, bottom picking psychology that's so glamorized on television, on financial media, when in reality, um, it may not be sexy, but just follow the path of least resistance. Look for levels where if we pull back, was it a point of control? Is there slightly more volume sitting there? So you're not alone because that's definitely going to help. And then just trust that if a trend stalls, it doesn't always mean, in fact, it far less means it's a reversal. Far more often, it's a continuation. So and that's Charles Dow, you know, that's Charles Dow talking about stick with the trend. So uh, that's the way I look at it. You know, I'm just going to presume continuation. Doesn't mean that I'm a permable, but continually assess the structure. The structure's bullish by the dips and, and use moving averages and volume to do it. And it sounds so basic, but when we really look at some of the greats in, in the books, you and I were talking about market wizards, you know, before we went on, if you really study what some of these wizards did, it's so basic, not the form, not the systems guys, right? I'm not talking about um, the Jim Simons of the world, but some of those uh, traders in the very first market wizards, the stuff they did was so basic. And we, we've so strayed from that, I think, as a trading community. Yeah, I think keeping it simple helps a lot, especially because the simpler it is, the easier it is to follow. And mm -hmm. uh, following your own rules is such a hard thing to do anyways. <laughs> painful, painful yeah. sometimes. But, you know, do we want to make money or do we want, do we want to be right? And it's it's it sounds like a silly question, but it goes back to a great quote from one of my favorite books, um, What I Learned Losing a Million Dollars. Um, am I bullish because I'm long or am I long because I'm bullish? And a lot of traders end up being the former and it gets them into all sorts of trouble. Uh, I'm going to grab that book for myself now because that sounds really good. <laughs> that book has been on my shelf for over 20 years and it's probably one of my favorite psychological market psychology reads. And, and just a teaser, it's basically written by a gentleman 
who uh, they were trading soybeans and he was on the opposite. He thought he was on the opposite side of a really big trader and he just wouldn't let go. And he, and it, what I learned losing a million dollars, he actually lost more than a million. It's, it's quite literally what the book is about. And it, in the highlight of it for me is he talks about the stages of grief, not in any way am I associating the stages of grief with a trade, but the emotional cycle we go through the, you know, from, uh, you know, again, each stage, I won't ruin the book, but each stage we go through as a trader, when we have to acknowledge, realize, and, you know, end a loss, it's, it, it was really pretty striking how similar that process feels when you're in a losing trade. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, managing your emotions is really good. And I um, was just talking to some people about that yesterday. Um, and one thing, this is a little off topic, but dealing with emotions, one of the things is just really slowing down, you know, thinking about how you feel, analyzing it, being aware of it, writing it down, and then owning it, saying, look, this is real. Because I have a tendency to just push through and not really think about it. Like, okay, I'm going to the next thing. You know, I try to just hold it all in. Hmm. Um, but as I've been able to, uh, to analyze it and think about it a little bit, it's helped me a lot. There's nothing off topic in trading, right? All, uh, you know, when we were <laughs> speaking before, you said there was a previous interviewer, uh, interviewee that you guys talked about mountaineering. And I'm already thinking, oh my gosh, the analogies for trading and even that, I think nothing is off topic for trading. There's always some analogy True. you can pluck and massage and, and use. You're so on I love that. that, I love that. Okay. Well, with that being said, let's switch gears a little bit and tell me uh, how how is it that you got started in this business in the first place? Mm. So I got started in the business because, you know, like a lot of teenagers, I was a jerk. I'm going to record that and I'm just going to play that back to my kids every day. (laughs) I was a know-it-all jerk. And this is, this is for, this is for the kids. Listen to dad. Listen. Um, I'll tell you what, Casey, my mom insisted that when we're in school, in high school, um, our job is to get good grades and then go to college and get good grades again. And in her mind, other than extra, extracurricular activities, like we always played an instrument, we always have, had a sport. So for me, it was violin and martial arts. And then for a while, it was violin, martial arts, and volleyball. So that's your job. You go to school, get good grades, and you do these other things. So you're a well-balanced human. But of course, all my friends, lots of my friends, went and got jobs. And my mom was not keen on this. She goes, whatever job you're going to get in high school is not what you're going to do the rest of your life. But of course... Being a jerk, I went and got the job. So my mom said, look, whatever you make, you have to give me 25%. I said, well, for what, right? Of course, sticking with the jerk theme, I'm going to put it in the market. You're going to put it in the market? I didn't even know what that meant. Mind you, I was about 14 and a half, 15 years old. Um, So what I started to do, I realized what she did. She put uh, my money in certain stocks and mostly in mutual funds. So I would open up the paper every day. And I would find the symbol, you know, you could find the ticker back in the day that you'd open up the paper. Mind you, this was 1988. Um, and I would find it. And what I wanted to do, I would, my father was an engineer and would take his graph paper and I would just plot. I didn't know anything about the markets. I didn't watch television. Um, I would plot the price with the hope that I could show her that it was going down and therefore she was losing my money. Lo and behold, 
I found it was going up. So now my jerky little teenager brain's thinking, well, maybe my mom's not so dumb. And, and so I started to pay a little bit more attention. And my mom, um, my mom was widowed at the age of 40. And she had two daughters, myself, I was 15 at the time, and my sister, 13. And she had a, like a lot of widows do, she had her life insurance money. Realized that she was a young woman and we were kids that still need to go through college. My sister actually went on to graduate school and she's thinking, how do I, how do I do this? It's a finite amount of money. It wasn't a lot. She got into the markets and my mom, whether she knew it or not at the time, was a bit of a market timer. I wouldn't call her a trader, but she knew certain times of year she could pick up stocks and funds at a better cost. And she knew that certain pullbacks were sales and she would just sort of do that, even though her duration was long. And um, I watched once I saw my money wasn't losing. I thought, well, maybe my mom's figured something out. And I wouldn't call her a trader, but she she was able to empower herself with the market. So, you know, I I think that I think two things. You know, you and I were traders, right? I think traders are wired in a very different way than other people. But also, you know, you clearly have a passion to teach people. And I think all of us probably have some story similar to mine. You know, the, the characters and scenarios change, but something made us really passionate about what the markets were affording us or our family members. So, you know, of course, who doesn't like making money? And as a 15-year-old, I started trading 15 and a half, almost 16. I started trading commodities because the leverage was great. Um, I opened my first account in my mom's name. And that was back when you could trade corn for about 400 bucks and cocoa for about 500 bucks. And I started trading and I was hooked. But I saw what she was able to do uh, with a small amount of money. And and that's how I got started because I was a jerk. Well, that's a really good story. Uh, And I actually think your mom had a lot of insight there to be able to do that. That was a lot of wisdom. So that was good that she was able to force that wisdom on you. You know, I, there's something to be said. I mean, inspiration for sure, but there was also desperation, you know? I mean, I think she became a student because, I mean, you burn all the ships, right? I mean, this was it. She could either go get a job and her kids could be unattended and unwatched and who knows what we would end up doing, or she could find a way to be home and still grow this money. And so, uh, you know, this she burnt the ships. This is what she was going to do. It's as a a person that teaches, you're always taught to say things like, okay, you want to be safe and always want to have a backup plan. And, you know, you never want to trade with money you can't afford to lose. And because you want to, you want to give people comfort and you don't want them to get into a bad situation, right? Like you don't want to get somebody on a ledge where they're going to jump off or something. However, I have found that the desperation has been the thing that's helped me the most. There is no plan B. There wasn't for me. There wasn't for my mom. Heck, there wasn't for my, one for my dad um, when he came from India to England to the U.S. to work for IBM. My family is not a family of plan Bs at all. And I agree with you 100%. Desperation is a fantastic motivator. It, it cuts through everything, doesn't it? There's no noise. There's no noise. It cuts through everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's either, it's, that's it. There are, it eliminates the choices. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. I, I do that with my kids. I make them pretty large percentage of their pay away into the market. 
If there's anything that I regret, even though I was in the market very actively as a, as a kid, I mean, I almost flunked out of college because I'm thinking to myself, so, so fast forward a, a couple of years, uh, you know, I'm trading gold when the first Gulf War was happening from my dorm room via my phone, getting quotes, calling my broker. You know, I almost flunked out of college. So I thought I'm making more than some of my professors. I was a freshman in college and I had to explain to my mom. I said, look, mom, I'm making money. Um, you know, I was 18 years old, 18 and a half years old. And I had a GPA. I was on the dean's list and not the good one. I was on the dean's list because my GPA. The bad dean's was list. Was not even a full point. Yeah. <laughs> was even a whole number. Don't play that part to your kids though. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we already, my, my kids are like me. They don't like school and I don't really force it on them either. So like I quit school the first six months because it was torture for me. So I joined the army instead. You know, I, I wish we wouldn't assume, and look, we can all thank a teacher for the fact that we can read, write, add, subtract, long division. I, I appreciate that. But I wish we wouldn't associate school with a love of learning, or I wish we would reassociate teaching kids just to love learning. Because if you're anything like me, I mean, I know we're not on video, but you see the bookshelf behind me and I've got three I got, more like I, it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I'm addicted to books. I can't read enough. I, I go to seminars and and attend webinars and take classes. I love learning. Um, so yeah, school and learning sadly are not <laughs> necessarily traveling the same path, but that's a whole other. You know, episode, I would, um, I'm pretty silly, but I would show up to class with a stack of books but they weren't the class books. Mm. They were the books from what I wanted to learn. So I would just sit there and use it as a study period for my own personal interests. Mm -hmm. <laughs> which, which is a shame that people say, well, my kid doesn't like school, but they really like this topic. You know, let, let it start somewhere. I, I, there's no easy fix, I know. But no, no, there isn't. I think yeah. people have an appetite to be better and we just want them to fit a certain path and mold. And yet- you know, that's not going to be the path for everybody. But I think if you leave someone alone, I mean, it's it's a human need. We want to progress. We want to improve. We want community, you know, and I think you and I probably satisfied that need by teaching and podcasting and finding that community and talking about the thing that we love to talk about. Yeah. And I still love learning too. I, it's like, man, it's so, so good. Like I love, I'm self-educated, not, not college educated. <laughs> Well, man, this was a great talk. I really enjoyed it. So um, with that being said, we're going to have to close it up. But um, how can people uh, find out about some more of your methods or, you know, get benefited from some of your teaching and your techniques? Awesome. So regardless of when you're going to catch this, um, you can check out. I'm actually doing a webinar and it's a free webinar. Um, yes, I have a class coming up, but I don't want anyone to feel um, any need to to do anything other than maybe visit my YouTube channel, which you can find under Raggy Horner. But um, the webinar that I'm going to do is about ETF. So it's such a timely conversation. And, you can, and they can check that out at simpler trading. So simpler trading.com forward slash trend. My favorite thing in the world. So uh, that and, and if you if you didn't catch it live, no problem because you'll be able to get the replay from that link uh, later. But I always tell everybody, you know, the all-knowing, all-seeing Google, ha, you know, you'll find my 
social media, my YouTube channel. I do uh, a quick pre pre-game show, as I like to call it, uh, charts and coffee, caffeinate and dominate for 20 minutes before I start trading every morning. That's on that's on Simpler Trading's YouTube. So you'll find me somewhere on the interwebs. Uh, but definitely I would love folks to check out that that webinar at, at simplertrading.com forward slash trend. Thanks for thanks for asking. Simplertrading.com forward slash trend. It's in gonna be in the description link. You'll be able to click that link and get access to it no matter where you're listening from or just type it in. Uh, we'll also link to your YouTube channel and whatever other social media you want to put on the page. So just go to the page and check it out. This conversation was so beneficial. I'm sure that the training is going to be chock full of good stuff. So I highly recommend that whoever's listening, go check it out. Uh, so Raggy, thank you for being on the show. This was a lot of fun and uh, just have a great day. And thank you. Thank you, Case. I appreciate it, my new friend. This is this is awesome. All right. Well, that's it for this episode, and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in to another insightful episode of How to Trade It with Casey Stubbs. We hope you found today's discussion valuable and inspiring. Remember, the road to trading mastery is a continuous one, and your commitment to learning and growing as a trader is the key to your success. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes, please reach out to us at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Keep listening, keep learning, and keep trading your way to victory. Until next time.